The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And all right, let's see where rock and roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan is in the world and what he's got for the joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. This is Duff McKagan calling you from... uh the airport outside of uh, Berlin, actually old East Berlin, uh, where the uh, Stasi had its reign of terror, uh, the East German Stasi, Soviet-influenced. But I wanted to uh, ask you a question, if you knew what you call a mix between a, a pirate and a molester. R. Kelly. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Oof, that one was a bad one. It's like a five-year-old kid thinking of his own joke. But uh, what am I expecting? It's a Duff McKagan joke of the week. They're all bad slash great, and we love and thank Duff for it. Thanks, Duff, for entertaining us every single Friday night right here on Talk is Jericho. No matter where in the world he might be, uh, headlining uh, Download Sweden, I think, this week. Guns N' Roses absolutely destroying everywhere they go. Huge crowds and uh, great shows all across the board. Speaking of great shows, tune in to Octane tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM for the third episode of The Rock of Jericho. I'm spinning all kinds of great heavy metal and rock and roll, spinning the platters that matter. And we even got a little quote from, uh, from Spinal Tap from my interview with the legendary bass player Derek Smalls. It aired last week on Talk is Jericho. Got a couple choice quotes on the Rock of Jericho this week, and we're even going to play a Spinal Tap song. What's your favorite Spinal Tap song? Hit me up on the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho, and let me know. Uh, thanks to Derek Smalls, great guest on Talk is Jericho, and more Spinal Tap, Ozzy, um, who I don't even remember who else we're playing. It's going to be a great show tonight on the Rock of Jericho, on Octane, on Sirius XM. Oh, yeah, Theory of a Dead Man is going to be on there. Blacktop Mojo, Like a Storm, all my favorite rock and roll for you. Uh, every few weeks on Octane on SiriusXM. Check it out. It's The Rock of Jericho. And check out Dave Meltzer on Talk is Jericho right now. But before we get to Dave, I uh, had some sad news this week. As many of you already saw, Big Van Vader passed away. Definitely the greatest, uh, one of the greatest big men of all time. And a weird thing. I've been in the wrestling business for 28 years, and I'd never met Vader, never wrestled with him, uh, never ran into him in an airport or whatever. 
but I was a big fan of his work, especially of his work in Japan. He used to beat the hell out of Inoki and Chono and all those guys. Uh, a perfect example of a guy, probably a little stiff, but very believable in what he did. I know a lot of people in the wrestling world very shocked and saddened by Leon White's passing. A legendary performer, one of the best gimmicks of all time in Japan, and just a tough, tough individual and very believable and very legit. So uh, rest in peace, Big Van Vader, Leon White passing away of heart failure at age 63. His legacy and his contributions to the wrestling business lives on forever. So here's to you. Raise your glasses to, uh, to Vader tonight. All right. And raise your glasses to Dave Meltzer coming up. We're talking. Uh, Dave's always on talking about everything else, talking about Van Vader and whatever else is going on. But tonight, today, we're talking about Dave. It's Dave Meltzer about Dave Meltzer, how he got into wrestling and got the Wrestling Observer Newsletter started way back in the early uh, 80s, late 70s, how all promoters hated him at first for breaking kayfabe. Dave's talking about his longtime relationship, hot and cold with Vince McMahon then and now, what it was like covering the WWE and the WCW Monday Night Wars, how much the business has changed in the 30 years since he started writing about it, how he does his business, all things Meltzer. You're here also. Also, what inspired his five-star rating system? Was it like uh, Jim Cornette said and like uh, Dooley, Dooley Klein or whatever the guy said the guy's name was? We're going to hear all about that. Dave Meltzer's five-star system, where it came from. I also put him on the spot to name some of his favorite wrestlers and matches. Tonight, here on Talk is Jericho, it's Meltzer on Meltzer starting now. Right, so um, it, it, we're here uh, uh, in San Francisco, the home of Dave Meltzer. I'm what? And for the <laughs> first time ever, I want to actually hear talk to you about you. Yeah, no one's ever done that before. That blows my mind that no one's ever done that before. Yeah. So crazy. Because, I mean, we've talked many times. We've, it's almost kind of like a series that we've been doing. We started with Benoit, then we did Pillman. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, a plan to do a bunch of other ones, which I think is going to be really cool. Yeah. But that's what I was thinking. Well, now we're here in person. I actually want to find out the story of Dave, <laughs> right? You know, like how kind of you became the go-to guy for, you know, wrestling and reviews and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> you know but it's interesting, though, because... Life takes you in directions, you know what I mean? Sure. It's like, it's like I was thinking about it on the way up here, because you, you know, I've heard you many times said that when you were a kid, you wanted to be a, a rock star and a wrestler. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a sports writer, but it was never... I mean, at the time, there was no such thing as wrestling writing. So it was really not something. It wasn't like when I was a kid, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a wrestling writer. I was going to be a sports writer. And somehow I lucked into wrestling. You know, I found a niche. Um, and I mean, that's kind of the weird thing. about. Well, it. you've become kind of legendary now at this point. So like the big thing was, you know, earlier in the year when I had the match with Kenny Omega and it was like oh, yeah. five yeah. stars, the melts are five stars. <laughs> and like, I never thought about it before. Like I, I must have had a five star I match or whatever. With uh, Chris Benoit in the ladder match. Yeah. But I guess I, because I, when someone said like the first time I go, oh, I know, I know. And I look back and I was thinking, said four and three quarters. And I go, <laughs> I really? That's how I remembered it. Yeah. Oh, well. But, you know, and, and even like the, maybe the, the, the raw match with me and Benoit versus uh, Triple H and Steve. Yeah, which is my favorite that, raw match of all time. It's crazy, right? But I don't know. I guess maybe sometimes you don't rate the TV matches. Yeah, I don't think I did. Just the pay-per-views. But my point being is that it's become like if you can get the five stars, it's, it's <laughs> like this amazing thing that you can get. But that, and then you really have become like this guy that you're the wise guy in the corner. Five stars, four <laughs> stars, three stars. 
Well, it's it's funny because at at PWG, you know, where where you've got like the whole audience is is it's just a different audience. Yeah, uh, all hardcore, all hardcore, expert, right? Yeah. So there was a match, and it was um, it, it was uh, the Young Bucks and Adam Cole against Ricochet, Will Ospreay, and Matt Seidel. It was a phenomenal match. It was probably the best tag match that I've seen live in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And when it was over, the whole place is chanting five-star match, which which has been done in other places, but never with me there. Oh. <laughs> and so everyone's looking at me, and it's just like, and I was thinking, so, I, so I'm thinking, it's like, and, and it, well, the match was phenomenal. I was thinking, like, I would, like, do something, and there'd be, like, a pop, and i go, but I'm not a performer, so I just wouldn't talk to anyone. Yeah, yeah. I said, like, everyone's going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I go, I'll decide when I get home. <laughs> yeah. But, but I already decided. It's kind of <laughs> almost like Game of Thrones where you're the king, and you give the nod of, like, Five stars. You would have got the biggest pop of the night if you hadn't done that. But I, was like, I, I was thinking that, it, but but it's like I don't want to be a performer. I don't want anyone to, yeah, think, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. especially in Reseda where everybody knows me. You know? Is it hard for you to go to shows in that situation? No, because not you, at all. It's just fun. I don't really worry about it at all. No. Do you get bothered like you're a celebrity yourself in a lot of well, ways? Well, when I first started going to PWG, and if I go to like, it's it's funny. It depends on it depends on the show. Like if I go to. Certain shows, I'll be mobbed. And if I go to other shows, not so much. Like, if I go to WWE, uh, WWE house show, yeah, to a degree. But if it's NXT, it was just like, you know, I was there and there was, like, this line and, and people were just joking. It's like, you know, you should just do a meet and greet, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, and if it's, like, Ring of Honor, the, when I went to Ring of Honor in, um, I don't remember what city it was, probably Vegas or, or Dallas, but several of them, actually. Whenever I go to Ring of Honor, it's like, it's like I'm almost like, oh, my God, I'm glad I'm not a celebrity because <laughs> I can handle this every day. It was, it's okay, like, when it's, like, once every now and then. But You could go to WrestleCon and, and have WrestleCon, you know, bigger, bigger lines than some of the boys would have. Yeah, I probably. It must be interesting because now it's like you, you become welcomed and, and, like I said, like a, not a hero, but people respect your opinion. Like, I'm sure there was times where you probably might have even been banned from WWE shows. Well, I don't know about banned from being a fan, but certainly they wouldn't. But even now, I don't know if they really want me hanging around with the guys or anything <laughs> like that. But it's, yeah, it's it's a new generation, you know, and it, it kind of shocked me because, like, the younger wrestlers, you know, are so nice to me and they all, they're accepting and I'm going like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're all supposed to hate me, which I'm cool with, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's how I grew up. It's like everyone's supposed to hate me, so it's like that's the thing. And it's like you kind of realize at some point it's like, wow, it's like, every, you know, it's like with you. You know, the, genera- the, 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 the generation of wrestlers now are so different from when you broke in. It really is, and it's so much more open on everything, but still, like, to me, you're almost like, uh, you always tell it like it is, which is what I like. Even if you're friends with somebody, you don't ever sugarcoat, like, oh, so-and-so's going to be mad if they, you say what you say. Yeah. And it's almost like a Simon Cowell thing where Simon would give a compliment when it was deserved, and it really meant something. It wasn't it wasn't a blanket thing, and, and you're like that as well. I mean, yeah. have you ever had somebody get mad at you? If they're like, hey, why would you say that about me or whatever? All the time. Really? All yeah. Time. Well, but but uh, it's it's... I mean, yeah, but it's not so frequent that it's it's a regular thing. But, you know, over, look, I've been doing it for 35 years. So, yeah, several many times. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go back to this. You said you wanted to be a sports writer yeah. and you fell into wrestling. How do you, how does one fall into doing this? Well, when I was young, I did like a, a wrestling newsletter, like really young, like 9, 10, well, 10. 10 is when I started. How do you mean that you would type it on a... Type it on a computer. And I type it on a typewriter. No, the thing that I... And I didn't even know this until a couple months ago, but my, my cousins are like three or four years older than me. It was very close to me. And um, she was telling me, and I have no recollection of this at all, that when I was... And this sounds ridiculous, that when I was three years old, she said I was writing baseball stuff. 
And I don't, you know, on a typewriter. Now, I, I can kind of vaguely remember at five, but she goes, no, 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 no. It was ridiculous. At three. <laughs> that's what she said. Okay. So I don't know that that's true, but I do remember I always was typing. Okay. So, and it was, it was more baseball than anything else. And I felt, I started watching wrestling when I was 10 and 11. And I was actually later than most of the kids because all the kids that I played baseball with, we would, we would, we would play baseball in the, you know, in the street. And then like at 4.30 on Saturday, everybody would run in to, to the house and we would watch the, the last 30 minutes of bowling, which came on before wrestling. <laughs> and nobody was really a bowling fan, but we had to be there. We could not miss wrestling. So we, you know, we had to get there early. So yeah. we always watched bowling and wrestling. And I got into the wrestling like about the second week or the first week that I watched it. It was like, I never seen it before. Which company was it? It was Roy Shire's Big Time Wrestling. Okay. Pat Patterson, Superstar Billy Graham were like the, Ray Stevens were like the big stars. And really like, and they're, they're hyping this match from the Cow Palace for the World Tag Team Championship. Oh my God, the World Tag Team Championship is going to be <laughs> here in, in the Cow Palace in San Francisco, right? You couldn't it's believe like, it. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like the U.S. Open or something <laughs> in San Francisco. This, it was like three weeks, right? So I was like, wow, this is like really big. And then what I was confused was, and I would go and read in the newspaper and in San Jose, it was like the same guys were in San Jose on Wednesday. And I, I didn't comprehend the idea that these guys could would do this every night. I thought it was like, you know, you did it about once a month and sure, yeah. this larger than life thing. People do think that too. They go, how many, how many times do you, do you fight a month? Like, well, five, six, what? But they can't believe it's every single night. Right. Yeah. But, but so it was the same for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but anyway, I ended up like, like of all my friends, I ended up getting into it more than all of them, even though they were all in, into it first. And my best friend was someone who had all the magazines. So I started studying the magazines and then San Jose, when I was a kid, they had, the biggest sports library in the world at the time. It was, um, you know, down, somewhere downtown San Jose. And this guy who wrote for the newspaper was called like um, sports expert. So you would call him up and ask him any questions. So we used to call him up at first and just ask him like all these pro wrestling questions. And he would talk us, tell us, and, and he knew everything about every sport. So we go start, start talking to us about like Luthez and Strangler Lewis and Gotch and people like that. I was like, wow, wow, this is so cool. So I'm like learning the history <laughs> from this old, you know, guy who was like in his sixties. And then he goes, why don't you just come to the library? So I came to the library, and there's this file on pro wrestling, and it's all these magazines from the 40s, 50s, 60s programs. So I just, like, studied that stuff like crazy. I thought it was like, wow, I'm learning, like, like about Babe Ruth and, you know, baseball and things like that. Like, because there was no avenue in the bookstores for this stuff. Sure. But luckily, I was in a, I was in a city where a guy had this great collection of sports memorabilia, and, and wrestling to him was one of those sports. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because when I first started, I wanted to keep. A, I remember I asked Keith Hart, "How many matches have you had?" And he's like, "He's like, I don't know, like thousands." Or I, don't, <laughs> I thought that's so weird because you can't. Like, if I want to know how many games Wayne Gretzky played, yeah. I can go to a library now, just Google it and find out. But you couldn't do that for us, so that's why I wanted to keep a list of every match that I ever had. Right. I've slowed and you're like the only one. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I've slowed down over the last few years because I'm lazy now. Because now you can find them all online. Yeah, I can just print it out. But the, like, I still have the first page. A 27-year-old piece of paper. I gotta download it into something or get someone to type it out. But there was there's not a lot of wrestling history, at least you know now probably more so with the internet. But at the time, nothing. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, now it's like so easy, and people sometimes I think it's it's like people are like the younger fans are almost I don't want to say spoiled. They're lucky. I'd say maybe lucky is a better word. But it's like every little bit of information. You know, when you're talking in the 70s, trying to find out about wrestling. Especially yeah. inside, which was almost impossible. Right. You know, it, it's like something. And now it's like at your fingertips, you can find out everyone's Anything. just even like real names. You know, everyone was still private about their real names. Back oh, in the right. 70s. Sure, sure. And now it's like it's common knowledge. And, 
you know, guys, you know, it's no big deal what your real name is. If it was 40 years ago, oh, my God, they know I'm the son of a hockey player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's even like when I wrote my first book, which was 2007. Um, that was all about stuff that happened in the first, you know, uh, up all the way up to WCW. So it was all Japan, Mexico, Germany. There's no documentation of that. As I progressed, like with the Shawn Michaels thing in my third book, I just went online and looked it up and, and remembered everything about reading. The first one, there's none of that. So I don't know what's true and what's not, just my vaguest memories for some of it. Whereas now you can go online and find, oh, I forgot about this and I forgot about that. It's all printed out there for you. Yeah, well, you're, you're probably, except for the fact that you would have the records, like the Mexico stuff still, unless it's like the the big shows, there's really not a lot of records of the small shows in Mexico. Sure, right, right. In Japan, there's pretty much most everything. everything now. And anything of significance in the United States. I mean, there's indies that, that you wouldn't get, but, you know. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, they pray, they probably don't have, because you started, you you worked here really early in your career. Yeah, you, for yeah. Woody Farmer. For Woody Farmer. I was talking to one of my friends this morning about that, and I go, like, when, you know, when did you first hear Chris Jericho? And I go, like, you won't believe this, but he came to San Francisco, Chris Jericho, working for Woody Farmer, and Mae Young was around then. Johnny Mae Young. Yeah, Johnny she, Young. she caused me to lose a match by pulling my foot. You know, when I hit the ropes, and she, shoot, pulled my foot. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, Bay Area Wrestling in 92 the yeah. summer of 92, and I came here just to try and get something going, and my dad's girlfriend, now wife, happened to live in the area. Oh, So okay. I did a, a, a taping, and it was like in a little wee little place, but with Woody Farmer, yeah, and Shane Cody yeah, his son, was right? his son, yeah. yeah. But So you, you're talking about the new, about writing these newsletters at 9 or 10. How did you start doing The Observer, and how old were you when you started? Okay, so I did those newsletters for a couple of years, and then when I got in high school, I just stopped, but I still kind of followed it. But our, the wrestling here in the Bay Area went down, and it was just, it was kind of depressing. You know what I mean? Like Right, to see that, yeah. Yeah, so so it's, you know, when Pat Patterson left, I think was really the key. He was like the, I mean, he was the top guy, and then him and Roy Shires had a big falling out, and he left and went to Florida, and then he went to WWF and AWA and everywhere, everywhere else, and he rarely came back. So the territory was kind of built around him and Ray Stevens, and Ray Stevens was long gone. They had their falling out in 71. So, yeah, it was just going down. I wasn't that interested, and then... When Georgia wrestling came on cable, when we started getting cable, I got really interested because Georgia had really hot wrestling at the time, and you saw Dusty every week and Ric Flair and people like that. So then I was back really hardcore into wrestling. And when I was in college, um, so there were – on my newspaper class in college, or my newspaper staff, there was um, – there were like three or four guys, and they were all big wrestling fans. And we, you know, all talked wrestling, and Andre and Hogan, AWA, and stuff like that was was the local promotion. Roy Shires was done by this point. And we just talked it all the time, and then one of them just goes, you know, like, you know all this stuff about wrestling. It's like, I can't learn this stuff in the magazines. It's like, there's people all over the world that would love, like, this kind of inside information, which is primitive by today's standards. But, but um, so... It's like, well, you know, I used to do a newsletter when I was a kid. So I, and also I was, by this point, I'm already trading tapes. Mm -hmm. so the VCR age has just started, and I was one of the first guys. What year is this? So this is 80. Okay. So I'm starting to get tapes from Japan, from WWF, Mid-Atlantic, and, and I, we got the Georgia on TV, and AWA we got on TV. So, but pretty soon I was getting pretty much almost everything. I mean, a couple of years, it's a couple of years before I started getting Stampede. Mm -hmm. But most of the big ones I was getting, so I started... I'd write letters to people, and then it was kind of like, God, I'm spending so much time writing letters. Why don't I just do this newsletter? And my friends had the same idea, so just do a newsletter, you know, covering all this stuff. And I did, and, you know, it was just a hobby that took up incredible amount of time. And then 
I guess in 86, when I was just working a full-time job and doing this, and I was just going out of my mind, and it's like, okay, you got to choose one or the other. So I, I chose wrestling, which, like, everyone I knew was just like, you are an idiot, you know? <laughs> what was your job? I was a sports writer. Oh, okay, gotcha. At, at, a, at a local newspaper. Gotcha. And I was making tons more doing that than I was at wrestling, and I go, I'm kind of making a name in wrestling, and also, I think that there's some potential here. And, you know, then, the, basically, my lucky break... No, well, there's a couple of breaks. I mean, it did start getting pretty popular. And then my big break really was one day I'm at home and Frank DeFord calls me. He was, and, he, and it's like, to me, that's like God. Who is he? Frank DeFord was like the best sports writer of the last 60 years. Okay. So he was starting the National Sports Daily. And, and he called me and he just goes, you know, I want to do a column on wrestling. And um, a couple of people told me that, that you're the guy. And I go, yeah. That, that would be great. It's like, so when I did that, so I did that. And at that point, that's when the circulation really went up because I'm in this national newspaper, national sports newspaper every week doing a column and they were advertising the thing. So from there, everything went pretty smoothly. Was it hard to get information? I mean, obviously the answer is yes, because then the business, like you said, was very, very closed. How did you do it? How did you get that info? You know, you just, when you started doing it, the people who started subscribing were people like me and all these other cities who just kind of knew people. So you kind of started doing it. And no, since nobody else was doing it, then I started getting like wrestlers that were subscribing. And then really pretty quick, I mean, as far as, you know, I had, um, you know, pretty much every office. I mean, WWF, Watts, Crockett, Eddie Graham, you know, were all subscribing. And then the wrestlers found out and... I knew people, and I started calling about gate info, which the wrestlers all loved in those days because, you know, the whole business oh, was, yeah. was so built on a lie, and I was getting gate info from the commissions and things. So the wrestlers go, oh, this is what they're really doing business-wise because, you know, every you know the, the, the communication in wrestling was just so ridiculously – it's, it's hard to explain. You know, this, and this is like in 85, 86. There was a rumor that Buddy Roberts died, okay, the Freebirds. And, and he was wrestling in Mid-South at the time. And, and, I mean, every night, you know, and people are just going, you hear Buddy Roberts. And in the business, they're going like, yeah, your Buddy Roberts died. And they go, Buddy Roberts didn't die. You're, a couple of years later, they had the same thing with Orndorff. You know, he at least disappeared. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he never died, but he disappeared. But Buddy Roberts never died. <laughs> and I'm telling people, I go like, he's alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not only that, Buddy actually was one of the first wrestlers to subscribe to The Observer. So I was getting checks from him every couple of months. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it was like... I'm just saying how primitive it was. And, you know, a lot of people signed up and, you know, then when then fans found out and I don't know how you duplicate it. It just things fell into place. I uh, remember the first time I saw it was when I was training in Calgary. Lance Storm and I uh, went through the Hart Brothers camp and then stayed on afterwards. And we kind of the, the guy who trained us, a guy called Ed Langley. Yeah, I know and yeah, and he would get. The stooge sheets is what yeah. he called them. But they was written like on a typewriter yeah. on green paper. Maybe it was photocopied because I think he got them from a guy called Laurie, who was the uh, head of the wrestling commi- box and wrestling commission in Calgary. Laurie Mills. Laurie Mills. Laurie there Mills. you go. Yeah, yeah, the he, commission. He got them and then would give them to Ed. And then Lance and I, when we found out about this, like, what is that? Oh, it's, a, it's, it's like the stooge sheet. Like, Every week, can we get it when you're done reading it? And then Lance and I would share it. Yeah. Because we had ne- you'd never seen anything like this before, yeah. talking about, like you mentioned, all the different things that were so closed. That was, you know, September of 1990 at that point. Yeah, so I had actually started in 
late late 82 i guess was when the idea came and i think my first issue was in early 83 but like i said what from 71 to about 70 71 to about 75 i was doing the california wrestling report international wrestling gazette which was more newsletters and and news a little bit behind the scenes i could sort of figure things out but you know it was nothing like the observer with the observer i end up you know a lot of people started talking to me very early on to kind of you know whatever and then i started kind of figuring things out and listening a lot and I, you know, Terry Funk was one of the first guys I knew, and, and he wouldn't tell me anything, but he'd give me these riddles. I mean, and this is really how, I mean, how I learned wrestling is he would say stuff that made no sense. And then, like, months later or even years later sometimes, it's like, I get it. You know what I mean? And, and Do you have an example? Let me think about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I probably have many of them. Okay, the one that I remember most famous was they're starting to do shoots in Japan or, or work shoots or whatever it was, right? And, yeah. And they're doing both, you know. But long before this came in, before there was a UFC or anything like that. So I'm like looking at this stuff and I remember talking to Terry Funk and I'm going like, I'm pretty good at figuring out like what's real and what's not here. <laughs> and he just goes, well, I'm impressed. And he just goes, and someday when you get really smart to the business, you're going to realize that it doesn't matter. Only the thing that matters is, is it true? It doesn't matter if it's real or not. It's the same thing as far as I'm concerned. If it drew, it was good. And if it didn't. If it drew, yeah. If it drew. That was, that's how, that's, yeah, his, yeah. that's his thing. And it was like. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then years later, I realized it is all the same. And that is, you know, that was kind of like interesting. Yeah. It's like and that's why, like, when I cover when I w would cover MMA and people would go like, you know, why do they make these matches? And it's like, well, duh. you know what I mean? It's like if it, if you're running a company, you know, it's like punk fighting. Right. You know, you've got all the hardcore MMA fans. This is horrible. This is terrible. And it's like, but if it draws and, right. and it brings money in. You know, I mean, that's that's the business. Sure. It's, whether it's any business, boxing or anything, it's all about, you know, I mean, the McGregor and Mayweather. I mean, it was, you know, if you're a serious boxing fan, you knew what that was. But it's like that did four and a half million pay-per-view buys. It was the second biggest fight, maybe the first in history. And everybody made a ton of money. And that's the name of the game. And, in in, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. I remember, remember like Mike Tyson years ago, he would knock somebody out like in 30 seconds and everyone would be so angry about it. But like, it doesn't even matter what happens in the match. It's drawing the people there to the match. And even to this day, guys work so hard, which is great. But as long as remember the old times ago, I got your money. Yeah. You know, who cares now? Yeah. But, you know, once the people come in, then whatever happens, happens. But as long as it draws, that's the most important thing for sure. Yeah. 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 I, you know, and, and that's, you know, promotion angles and interviews, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I always think that like, God, these guys, you know, work so hard on the, the physical aspect of professional wrestling right now. But it's like the talking is just, it's in many ways is more important than always for me. Yeah. 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 And also just the whole, you know, the, the presentation and the look and everything, you know, like the, the whole thing of looking like a star and being a star as opposed to just jumping up and down and doing a million things, which is cool, you know, especially on an independent level. That's what gets you noticed. But, I mean, there's a difference between that and being a, a big star. Mm -hmm. To me, it's like it's like the whole key is is like the larger than life big stars. That's what that's what carries the business. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you uh, started, like you mentioned, 82, what was the reaction from, you know, the, the promoters? And, and was there... Uh, were you pretty negative. Were you public enemy number one? I, I They used to... Uh, people used to joke to me that I was public enemy number two and that I could never beat Vern Gagne for public enemy number one. <laughs> so I guess, like, Vern... That's when I realized that Vern... How hated Vern was, which is funny because he had, you know, one of the better territories in the AWA lifestyle was probably better than most because, you know, you were working 15 dates a month, which in, in those days compared to 30, you know what I mean? You can... You know, you can have an actual life. Yeah. And also, you made good—it was a good money territory. You know, you were working big cities and— That's what I grew up on was AWA in Winnipeg. Yeah. Why was Vern so hated? I never I knew that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but people used to always tell me that, you know, that, you know, a lot of the guys back in that era, you know, who knows, maybe right. he kept himself world champion forever, and then, you know, when he was in his 50s. Um Maybe he yelled at who's a yeller, you know, he wanted everything perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, people's skills might not have been the best. I mean, it's funny because in the, in the local community, he was like a local community sports yeah. show. But the boys, yeah, the boys hated Burr. Really? Okay. Yeah. So what about, I know you've had a long and, and storied, uh, you know, uh, relationship with Vince. Yeah. What was it like with him at first? And tell us a little bit about your relationship that's a with weird, That's a really weird one. So I didn't know that Vince read it until someone in WWE was like, oh, yeah, you know, Vince, Vince reads it. And then they told me, um, you have a subscriber named Kathy Nickerson. And I go, yeah, which, that's, which was Howard Finkel's girlfriend. And I think he ended up marrying her. So that was, Howard was getting it, giving it to Vince. So that's how I knew. And I don't know how early they knew I knew, but but I knew pretty early wow. when I heard that one. So, um, but no, I mean, I didn't really have anything with Vince for several years. And then um, whenever things got bad publicity-wise, my relationship with Vince usually would get good. Like, um, steroid trial era, you know, um, talked to him, you know, fairly often. Um, the company was, you know, really good with me as far as, like, data, questions, anything, direct line to Vince or, mm. or to, you know, his secretary who would give me answers to any questions. Really? Yeah, 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 for years. And then it fell apart at one point. And I would say that the reason was is the war with WCW. Um, and when they were starting to lose in the war, all of a sudden it was like, 
you know, they wanted their side and, you know, they wanted to be sympathetic. WCW was sympathetic. So at that period, when you had two big companies and I was the leading writer at the time, that that was really like. Uh, what are they, why is he blaming you? Because you're telling this no, no, truth. No, he's, not, he's not blaming oh, but me. Why does the relationship go sour? You mentioned like. I don't know. It's, mm. it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, I. If, you, if they don't need you, they don't need you. So what you're saying is, is it was for this, like for the steroid trial, when but, Vin, but, but, Vince wanted to get his story out, he would talk to you. Yeah. To, so you would tell people what's the real. Yeah, but I mean, I. But then now that I think about it, um, Louis, Louis Dondero, you yeah. remember him? Yeah. Pat's Pat's boyfriend. Pat's, Pat's, yeah. Pat's boyfriend. Right. Louis contacted me in the '80s, and just goes, you know, you made a name for yourself, blah 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 blah. You know, wanted to talk about, you know, so so they that was I guess the first relationship was that year in the 80s. So Louis reached out on behalf of the company? Right, 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 right. Through Pat and mm -hmm. Vince. And I don't remember ever talking to Vince directly, but I did talk to Pat and Terry Garvin wow. all the time at that point. And then um, a couple of years later, Vince invited me to, to come up there. So I think that's where I first met Vince. He, I may he invited you to come to Stanford? Yeah, well, they had a thing where um, he called me, and this was Vince. Vince called me up, and I think it was, it might have been with JJ. I think JJ was there at the time. And I used to talk to JJ all the time back in that era. But Vince invited me, and he wanted to invite, like, um, a couple other newsletter people. And he ended up inviting, uh, like, several. So we were there. We toured the place. I just remember I was with Wade Keller. I, I don't know if you know Wade well. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know okay. a little bit, but. Okay, yeah. And I, I mean, I know him, um, you know. So anyway, we were there, and we were kind of like the, as I recall this, this is, this is, 91, okay, because it was right around SummerSlam 91 with the Bret Hart Kurt Henning match, because we went to the Garden that weekend. Mm. So we were in Stanford probably that, that weekend before that. And I just remember us being like mischievous little kids in that um, office, you know, and every, all the other people were so in awe of, of, the other reporters were so in awe of being with Vince, okay? And we weren't like in awe. I was just, <laughs> yeah, Vince, whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, I, 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 I mean, even today it's weird because people are so in awe of Vince and it's like, I mean, I get you know, Vince larger than life and all that and everything, but I never felt that in awe of him. I don't know why. I mean, I guess because dealing with Watts from all, for all those years, mm -hmm. you know, and B Paul Bosch and people like that. And yes, Vince was a bigger version of them, but I dealt with them for years and years. So, and, you know, Sam Mushnick and all those people who had dealt with before Vince. So it was like, it wasn't, it was a big deal, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And we're like running around the office and, <laughs> you know, we'd, we'd go into like, they, they introduced us to all the to different executives, and I would look at the piece of paper and look at, like, merchandise sales. Ah, get away, get away. <laughs> you know, like it was really hilarious, actually. And then Vince, Vince brought us to a room, and it was Vince and Basil DeVito, and we, we all talked, and we, um, we just talked about all kinds of subjects. And So I think things were pretty cool. What was his mindset in having you guys all, all come there? I guess so we wouldn't be enemies. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So this, I had no idea. Yeah, this is early 90s. Mm. So this would have been, I think part of it was when I got the job with the National, with DeFord. So I'm in like a national sports newspaper and, and in New York, all the big executives in sports, Reddit, all the, you know, people like that. So my column was, you know, pretty big. So I think it probably was in their best interest to be, you know, to have a good line of relationship with me. So I think that that's probably getting in the National is probably the, the catalyst mm. of all this. So um, I remember one, one time it was funny because I did a story on um, the first Tokyo Dome show in 89. And this is you. If you're not in wrestling, you'll never understand this. But if you're in wrestling, you will. <laughs> OK, so I'm writing about it. And there was like, you know, the first Tokyo Dome show probably like 40,000 people. And at the time, this is before all the stadium WrestleManias. Um, there was the Superdome WrestleMania, the Silverdome WrestleMania. Yes. But but for the most part, 
you know, WrestleManias were still in arenas, and Vince had probably topped 40,000 tickets for maybe three shows in history. And so they had done like 40,000, and I wrote about it, and the, the gate, and they were doing higher ticket prices in those days. So I go, the all-time record gate. And I remember, like, hearing from them, and it's just like, they were pissed because the whole thing was is they wanted it to be that, like, the guy who knew how to promote wrestling was Vince. I could really tell this. It's like, if it came out that somebody else could promote wrestling as big as Vince, even if it's in Japan, they're just trying to explain it doesn't count because their business is different, which, of course, it is. But they're going like, you know, they have corporate tickets, you know, they like like the hockey team would have yeah. and all this. And we have to sell directly to consumers. <laughs> so they're trying to rationalize it yeah, to yeah, you. Yeah. And, 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 and it's like, so you really can't compare their gates with our gates. And, and it's just like, well, isn't it to their benefit that they are upstanding like, like a hockey team or a basketball team and, and you're not? That's kind of like good. And it's like, but we're telling, selling, you know, there's always a rationale. <laughs> but we're selling directly to consumers. They couldn't sell as many tickets directly to consumers the way we do it. You know, their their whole business is different. It's like, well, but they still, you know, they're doing the Tokyo Dome. It's, mm-hmm. it's and then and the Japanese business was really hot then. And when I would write about that, they would I really sensed that was kind of a funny thing that they they didn't like that information in the United States. I mean, in a wrestling magazine, I'm sure they wouldn't care, but this is in like a daily newspaper where the executives that they dealt with who thought that Vince McMahon invented wrestling, which you know obviously didn't, and nobody's ever been able to, you know, in eighty four when they first got big, and it was like they now sell out Madison Square Garden. I'm going like, they sold out Madison Square Garden in the 30s. And Vince's <laughs> father sold out Madison Square Garden more than Vince did. You know? And, and but you know, you know the, the way that... The revisionist the history. revisionist yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- I think they were fine that the wrestling fans, the super hardcore fans, which were a very small number, knew that. But when it was executives of these companies... Gotcha. They, that, that was always like funny stuff when it would be something like that, that when they would call me up and try to rationalize why... You shouldn't be writing about this stuff. <laughs> it was always like funny. It was always funny stuff. What um, and, and, and so what's your relationship with Vince now? Is there one? Um, I'm, I mean, the la- I probably haven't talked to him in a couple of years. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, as far as with the company, I mean, I email them for questions every day, every couple of days, you know, sometimes multi-times a day. And as a journalist, obviously you never reveal your sources, but do you have people in there that are they doing it um, both publicly or are they doing it kind of like don't say anything about this? Both? Both. Yeah. Both. Both. Yeah, both, yeah. both. Some of it's directly, you know, some of it's directly authorized by Vince or Paul Levesque. You know, really? And they know, oh, yeah, well, of course, the PR people, mm-hmm. you know, and they know um, they know the questions I'm asking and everything like that. So, and then sometimes, you know, it's obviously stuff, you know, whether it's the boys or other people trying to get information. Because, you know, sometimes, pretty often, actually, you know, if I'm, I'm going to ask a question, you know, pretty high percentage of the time, I'm not going to get an answer. Yeah. So I got to get the answer somehow. Right, right. And, and, they, and they won't, you know, and they won't let me know about angles coming up or anything like that. Not that that's like that big of a deal to know angles or match finishes because I don't really care other than WrestleMania time, you, you try to see it coming and everything like that. Then it's a big deal. But it's yeah. uh, it, it's, it's it's interesting to me um, how you were almost like an enemy amongst the boys at a certain point in time. Right, sure. And I will always say like, it's like reading Variety magazine if you're in, the, in Hollywood or reading Billboard magazine if you're, you know, a, a musician. It's It's great that you exist because you're getting I can get more information from Dave on how many tickets are sold or what's going on. It's not like you because a lot of people would be like, well, you're going to go and read your review of your match. I know myself if the match is good or not. I don't need Dave Meltzer or Vince or anybody to tell me. But for this other information, I didn't know any of it. And now suddenly there's a a, where you can go see Masters of Regard sold 13,000 tickets for this amount of whatever. And I thought it was a very valuable tool 
to 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 read your 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 newsletter. Yeah, and I, I, and I always thought like, and I guess you know what's funny is I never thought about it like this, but when I was a kid, the wrestling you know at the cow house everything it was, it was pretty hot. You know, I mean, eighteen thousand right. people, and they got like you know two or three graphs in the newspaper, almost nothing. And I always thought. God, there's all these people at this thing. There's many people yeah. at the basketball games, and the TV ratings were as good, but they get no coverage. And I always thought it was unfair. So in my mind, originally, my original brainchild of, of this was the importance of an event. And, of course, it's completely changed now because the world has changed. But this is 1970s brain going like the importance of an event is how many people buy tickets. And then I found out wrestlers got paid based on tickets. So and and they would have because they would always have the attendance in the gate for the cow palace in the local paper along with the results and I and and I would go like if I was really excited for a show the attendance was always higher and if I thought ah oh, this show I, I I don't even I'm really not that interested and the attendance would almost always be lower so then it became with my friends we you know guess the attendance and all that and and so I got into that aspect and then when I started doing the Observer you know it's like what cities are doing well why are they doing well you know. What guys are, are, you know, like like a Dusty Rose would inflate numbers, you know what I mean, who would just come in and people would, you know, or Bruno San Martino or people like that. And I just got really fascinated. What makes people to pay to see these guys? What do they have? Which is usually awesome promos and, and a booker who knew how to book, you know, in compelling the stories. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had and if you had like low rent, bad wrestling, it didn't draw. So I was kind of like, okay, so what makes this wrestling good? What makes this wrestling bad? And I was always really fascinated with that early on, which I think really helped with the newsletter. I was a fan of wrestling, but I was more a fan of, of what drew people to wrestling yeah, yeah, yeah. than the wrestling itself. What was your relationship with uh, with uh, WCW and Bischoff like back in the... the, the well, I mean, it's funny now because now I guess it was terrible, but, <laughs> <laughs> but back then, I mean, you know... I don't want to say I talked to everyone at WCW, but it was very, very open. I mean, it's funny because Eric would used to say, it's like, you know, like, you know, we make sure, you know, that, that you get, you know, information. And, and I didn't talk to Eric all the time, but I did talk to him fairly often. But Zane Bresloff was the guy who was, he talked to everybody. He was like the local promoter. You yeah. knew Zane, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the promoter for the whole company, basically. Right, yeah. right, right, right. He booked so, the shows. Yeah, so Zane was insane, you know, insane Zane. And, and he... And I were really good friends. I mean, to the point where, you know, no one believes this, but I would say I probably talked to him like six times a day, mm. almost every day. Wow. And he would bounce, like, all the ideas with WCW um, that he would, because he was great with ideas. Not all of them were good, but a lot, you know, the promotion, and there were promotional ideas. He would come to me and goes, this is my idea, like, um, the Mall of America show, right? Okay, I mean, I knew about that Mall of America show, the very first Nitro. I couldn't tell you how far in advance, but it was a, it was a long time, because he came in and goes, what do you think about doing a show, you know, not in an arena, but at the Mall of America? And I go, that's a really, I, I think that's really cool. And he's telling me about the Mall of America. And, this, this, and I always thought those location things, I said, different is good, right? Sure, of course, yeah. Different is good. So I'd always, like, really, like, pitch him on that. And then he would pitch Eric, and then Eric would do it and things like that. And now, I mean, I hear Eric talk about, like, the reason he did it. And it's like, yeah, it was, it, you know, you know <laughs> well, we couldn't sell an arena. It's like, no, it was just an idea that was cool for a first nitro. And, but anyway, but... So we always talked about everything. And he was another numbers guy, you know, mm. really into numbers on, on everything the same way I was. So we always were talking about like, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And I remember like in, in 98 when they were on fire and I could see, I, I don't say I was, you know, I mean, you probably could have seen it. You were there. But I mean, even as they were going through and selling out everywhere and, and at the top, it's like 
they weren't they weren't building a future. They were building a present, and they were mortgaging their future for the present. And I was going like, Zane, this thing's going to go down. And he'd go, you're crazy. We've sold out 26 shows in a row. And I go, I just feel this thing's going down. And then it started going down. And I go, like, you've got to push these young guys because it can't really, I mean, you can't rely on Hogan. And I remember Eric. I mean, it was, you know, I, I, Eric would just go, where Hogan goes, goes the money. And I go, but not forever. And I remember when Austin and, and, and Dwayne got super hot, especially Austin. And his thought was, well, Austin's like this temporary thing, but Hogan will be there forever. And it's like, it's not going to work that way. I mean, it, everyone's got their their run. And Hogan was smart with his run because he would come and go. If he stayed, it wouldn't have lasted as long. But I don't know. It was WCW was a was an interesting thing. It's I do think it was horrible for the boys when that thing when WCW went down. Yeah, of course, because of the leverage and everything yeah. like that. The money that you could make by balancing each guy off each other. But it's uh, funny too because I remember. We used to watch Raw in the dressing room at WCW. And one time, like Eric walked by, and I think uh, Triple H was doing something. He was like, "I'll never get over, I'll never get over." You know, that's just he would. He, he would just say these flippant type of things. And one time, he told me, "It's like, you know, I went to see like well, I'm not doing anything here. Like, what's the deal?" And he's like, "You know, you have to be on TV for ten years before people really accept you as a star." And I was like, "Okay." Bullshit, but <laughs> whatever, if that's what you think. And if you go by the guys that he was pushing, it was all, all guys, guys that have been past. on for 10, 20 years, right? Yeah. But I remember you know, this funny thing because people used to say that in the 80s. And I remember it was Bruno San Martino who told me, he goes like, we got guys over in six weeks of television yeah. to sell out. So so has it changed? Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean yeah, yeah. Like we would, we would, you know, they would introduce a guy, in, they would introduce a guy, have him run through guys on television Put them in the garden with Bruno, and they would sell out. It's yeah, like, and and everyone knew who they were. Right. <laughs> so it's just like you know. it, was, it was an excuse. Obviously, yeah. I remember. I think you told me or I've read it before that Zane told Eric about me or something along those lines. That Zane Breslov was saying you got to do something with this Jericho. Oh, that's me and Eric. Um, oh, well, actually, that, that may not be. No, okay, well, no, 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 no. There's there's a bunch of Jericho stories um, actually <laughs> that, that, that I could that I remember from that era, but. Um, the first, I mean, the first one I remember was um, at the Peace Festival, uh -huh. you know, because then I was talking to Eric and Eric's going, I'm going to sign that guy or, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, um, and, and it was a tape. So that was a tape I sent to Zane. Okay. So it was a tape of the second, um, was it Super Junior, Best of Super Junior? Mm -hmm. Not the Best of Super Junior, the Super J Cup. Yeah. The one that you were yesterday with Chris Benoit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the second best, and, and they were doing Nitro and I go like, you got all this TV and you've got all these great smaller guys that are just kind of floundering and doing nothing. Why don't you do just like one show, you know, like a, a special show where it's just like best of the super juniors, you know, eight man tournament with all these awesome guys, give them a chance to just shine and be in the main event. You know, it's just one week of TV, um, you know, and, and, and just let them get over. And they go, well, what do you mean? So I, I sent Zane a tape of the, the super second super J cup. So he sent it to Eric and they never did it. They never did the idea, but, on the tape was your match with, with Benoit, Benoit, yeah, with Benoit. So Eric got intrigued and went to, as, as what he told me was he went to Benoit and goes, I just saw this match with this guy, Chris Jericho. What do you think? And Benoit goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. And that's that's how he at the Peace Festival. He relayed that story to me that I watched that and we're going to wow, sign, we're going to sign Chris Jericho. And then he didn't watch your match. Yeah, he left on before that the show. Match. He left before your match. Yeah. Like, You're going to sign this guy. The other story on that on that night that was so great <laughs> was they had just they had just signed Ray. But he'd never seen Ray. But he'd, you know, he'd done well in ECW. And this is, you know, if you did well in ECW, they're going to... Yeah, they want They're going to want you. Yeah. So, but the qualm on Ray is, of course, in, in that era was 
this is ridiculous. He's so small. He'll never get over. Who can believe him and all that stuff? And Eric went and, and it was Los Angeles, which helped a lot. But Ray was out there. I remember right after the match, Eric's like beaming. And it's like, you know, because he just signed Ray and now he saw Ray. And he just goes, the size. He goes, that's his attribute. That's not his detriment. And I go, yeah, if you understand Ray, the fact that he's small, it's like, that's what makes him. That's, that's, yeah. it's, not, it's not a hindrance to him. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. That's uh, and that was always the knock on, on on Mysterio. Anytime he went into a new locker room, I remember uh, Asai brought him into to war for the Super J Cup, but it was um, it was an exhibition, exhibition match. match. Yeah, with, and I remember suspicious. watching once again with Benoit, and it, we it blew our minds. Like I remember reading Japanese magazines and see they would do picture by picture of his moves and not understanding what he was doing like even though i'm looking at it like how does this how did he do that like what is this yeah and then seeing it live but when he first brought him in the the guy who was tenru's brother-in-law that was kind of the money guy that told us this is embarrassing you're an embarrassment to the company for bringing this little guy really in yes and then wow. afterwards and, and psychosis was his all-time best opponent for base at that time sure Guy came in and offered him like a year deal for every tour, you know. Yeah. But every I remember WCW, Dean said the same thing. We brought him at Luger, and the guys were laughing yeah, they at him. him in the first night, and yeah. then afterwards, you know, shaking his hand, all that sort of thing. But yeah. no one had ever seen something like that before, you know. Yeah, yeah, because well, you got to remember they all grew up, and if you weren't like two hundred pounds, yeah, you know what I mean. You were, you know, you couldn't make money in wrestling. Was right, right, right. I mean, you could be there, and if you were his size, you couldn't even get in the door. I mean, I tell people like about that, like they'll go like, oh, what kind of a star would like Brian Danielson have been? You know, when you were a kid, and I go, they wouldn't have let him through the door. And no way, no way. And I go, seriously, I go, like, you know, five, seven, five, eight, you know, 180 pounds. It's like they wouldn't have let him in the door. Maybe in Memphis, but but in San Francisco, nobody was under 205. Oh, you're right. I mean, even look at, like, in the 90s, you're talking about the cruiserweight division. I was in the cruiser division, 5'11 and a half, uh, or whatever I am, 5'11, and, like, 220 pounds. Cruiserweight. And they thought you were too small. That's what I'm saying. I was too small at that point in time. And now half the business, two-thirds of the business is probably smaller than that. Tell, tell, yeah, give me 10 guys on the roster of WWE that are over 220. I'll be like, I don't know about that. Well, you know, but that's yeah, just, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. obviously there's a lot of them, but but yeah. that's just how it was back at that time frame, you know? Yeah. When you're talking about doing this for 35 years, what are some of the biggest stories that you've covered? Well, I mean, the, for sure the biggest one is is uh, the Benoit, mm -hmm. you know, and then the Survivor Series, which we've we, we done shows on both. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, both yeah. of them, yeah. Yeah, those are definitely the two biggest. Um, and the Owen Hart death mm -hmm. um, was right there with them. And then, to me, the most important for wrestling was the end of WCW, more mm -hmm. than any of the other ones. It wasn't, like, huge at the time, but I just thought that, like, when it happened, it was like, I went through freaking depression because it was like, I thought, okay, the business is going to end because Vince isn't going to have competition. Vince will be around, but the popularity, the whole thing that built that popularity was the two companies against each other. And even though WCW was going down so bad at the end, it's like when it was actually like gone, when it was gone, it was like, there's going to be no more competition and WWE is going to just fade away. Mm. And, you know, for a couple of years, WWE was going down, 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 down. And then it finally leveled off and came back. What was it that you thought enabled it to level off and come back? New talent? Yeah, new talent. Um, at some point, I think that there's a, a certain thing where, um, I mean, I guess it's not inherent, but I think there's a lot of people who want to be wrestling fans, and, and if there's nothing else, they're going to be fans. I mean, it won't be huge, huge, because, you know, there have been the, di there've been the dips, but it never got too small. Mm -hmm. You know, I think just there's enough people that even in, like, you know, I guess it's new kids and everything like that. Even, even in the down period, if, as long as you're on TV... Then I think that it was, you know, now I'm not so sure because now there's so many options. Just being on TV, you're not going to, 
you know, Impact's on TV. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. You mm-hmm. know, uh, New Japan's on TV, which is cool for the certain hardcores, but it's not like the average person, you know, it's access TV. Oh, yeah, how many people are actually watching that, yeah, I wonder? Yeah, yeah, you know it's a couple mean? hundred thousand. So, yeah. So, so it's like, you know, but but when, um, you know, when it was TBS in USA, you were pretty much getting a lot of, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think historically I had seen with, with territorial wars, whether it was Detroit or Montreal, Roller Derby, Roller Games, you know, when I was a kid, which was which taught me a lot about that same kind of business. And when the war ended, when one when one side beat the other, the side that won always went down. Mm. So I was going like, oh, WWE is going to go down. I saw it with Roller Derby. I saw it with the Montreal Territory and everything like that. And and Montreal people at the time that, that I knew were going like, oh, we've seen this. You've got, you've got two or three years, you know, and, and it's going to slowly go down and without the competition. And but... You know, it's still here, and it came back, and uh, right, right, right. How has the business? I mean, obviously, there's, there's, you know, the obvious things, but how has the business changed the most since you started to, to now in 2018? Um, just every aspect of it is mm. different. I mean, I think there's way more among the talent, like uh, wanting to have good matches. I think I think before, I mean, I think people, the top guys, always had, were driven to have good matches, but now I think up and down because I mean I. You know, you know, when you were a kid, I mean, you, and when I was a kid, I mean, I saw great matches when I was a kid, but I saw matches with guys that, you know, were, had that mentality. I've already got your money. I'm doing nothing. Mm-hmm, that's mean? true. Or if it's, if it was a small house, that's ah, a small house. I'm doing nothing. I'm not taking any bumps. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to walk and talk and stall. So it's like, and you really don't have that now. I mean, even if it's like, you know, a couple hundred people, the guys who are in it for the most part really want to be in it. I think, you know, and, and maybe less less for the money than before. Mm. Now it's almost like this art form or this thing, you know, whereas before I think it was, you know, it was guys living, but I don't know. It's definitely, there's that, the impetus on wanting to put on good performances in the ring is is bigger. It's interesting, because um, I remember, and maybe it was the schedule they had, because those guys used to have to work, you know, 300 days a year in the 80s, yeah, WWE. Right, right. But I remember going to, uh, I always went to the shows, but I was really a big British Bulldogs fan. Yeah. And they were working with Valentine and Beefcake. And I remember the, the promo for it was like, Dynamo was like, we've been running on the beach, we've been pumping weights, we're going to suplex you all over the ring. And then they had the match and didn't give one suplex or won anything. They didn't do anything. Yeah. I remember just saying, like, they're not doing anything. Yeah, those schedules were just brutal on those guys, right? I remember going to the matches in that era. You know, this is, this is mid-80s. Mid-80s, oh my God. And, and I would, and got literally... You know, like 29 straight days on the road, guys, right? Yeah. I remember once they were in, I don't remember if it was San Francisco or Oakland, but I was out and I was talking to a couple of the guys and and Sherry Martell was there as well. And they were, you know, 27 days, 29 days. They were telling me how many straight days on the road. And they're like zombies. Right. You know, it's like, I mean, and, and some of them, you know, when it came to the performing, you know, I mean, a guy like Terry Funk, you know, was, was going to be on anyway. But so many of the guys, it's like, wow, I know these guys are way better than this, but they weren't doing anything because you, you couldn't. And mm. It wasn't even the, the bumps of doing it. It was the insane travel because it wasn't like so that one of the good things they do is like so. So now, you know, like, like if you do a tour, right, you you come to San Francisco. So maybe you do San Francisco, Sacramento, Stockton, you know, a couple of drives. Right. Yeah. I mean, then you would do Friday night in Seattle. Yeah. Saturday night in Miami. Su- right. Sunday in New York and then back to Los Angeles. There was no. Easy, you know, it was like they're crisscrossing the country, different time zones every single week, and no days off in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the guys were just, you know, they were zonked out of their minds. I mean, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Really, you know, that's why there were so many drug problems in mm-hmm. that era. Just, just to keep going and just to, 
you know, and just to keep yourself from going crazy, from stir crazy from the schedule. Who are um, some of the like the most popular wrestlers? Like as far as the reactions from the crowd, like, who's 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 the the the, the most over wrestler of all time? I mean, as far as biggest reaction, yeah, I mean Hogan probably. Is it Hogan still? I think yeah. I, I would still say like Hogan because because when I saw Austin, I always thought it was like Austin when he was super hot was was right there with Hogan, but Hogan when he would do that like. Austin during the match would probably be just as hot as Hogan, but Hogan always did that post-match routine that always got, it was an amazing how over the post-match thing and then the ring entrance with the music and everything. Mm-hmm. So Hogan, Antonio Inoki, you know, Pero Guayo, I always thought was really, really over. Really? Yeah. 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 yeah um, you know, Ricky Choshu and, 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 you know, in the super heyday of New Japan, Austin and Rock. How does Cena? Uh, Cena's, I, I see Cena's like the level right below. Right, that. gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think Cena's a superstar, but I, 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 I don't feel him at the level that I felt Austin and Rock and Hogan at. at is that it level. is it even possible to have another person like that, another Rock or Hogan, in this day and age? I think it's difficult because of the weekly TV. Because the greatest thing you know that Hogan had is that he wasn't on TV never. Every week. You know, he would do his two angles a year, three yeah. angles a year. He would do a match or two here and there, or you would see in some arena matches, but not every week. You know, every couple of weeks you'd see a Hogan Arena match on the primetime wrestling. I, I remember Superstars was what I watched, and once, maybe out of the whole time, he had a match. It was like it was a Saturday morning show, yeah. and I couldn't believe it. Like yeah. one time, yeah. Hogan's on Superstars, I can't believe it. But other than that, you never saw him, and that's when the, that was the main program. Was There was no Raw back then. You'd have Saturday, Saturday main event once a month, and then Superstars every Saturday morning. So you never saw him. Yeah, yeah, he would be on the Suicide Night Main events, but that was... Yes. Yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, I don't know that you can go 52 weeks a year. I mean, it's so funny because it's like, you know, oh, it's so bad that Brock's not there every week. And, and I go like, you know what? It's probably best for a couple of guys not to be there every mm-hmm. week. You know, make them, make them special. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, because I remember like, even like with, with, with Atlanta TV with Dusty Rhodes, who was, would also be in that category. Okay, gotcha. Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, with, with Dusty, like... He did interviews most weeks. I would say probably three out of every five weeks, Dusty would, would be in studio and do an interview. The other two weeks, he would do a taped interview in Florida. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he rarely wrestled on television. And and it was probably best that he didn't because it's like Dusty Rhodes' going in the ring doing the squash match could never measure up to his interviews. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's almost like his interviews were so good, you didn't really, you know, you could watch him in a main event and everything. And because they would do all the blood and the wildness and everything like that. But him just doing like, you know, a four-minute match, beating some nobody, you know, he wasn't going to be as impressive as a lot of the other guys were. So it, it would, what benefit was it really to see it? Other than every now and then you see it to see the people go wild for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. What do you think as far as like um, for your newsletter, how many subscribers do you have? Like, is, I don't want to tell you. Okay, I didn't know. It, but, okay. I, I, like, is it, like, has it gone? It's, uh, it's, it's the biggest it's ever been now. Now? Yeah. Do you think the business is, is the biggest it's ever been now? The biggest, the business as a whole? Yeah, like I understand back in the days of... In, 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 it depends on like how you measure it. Money-wise, the business is bigger. People will spend way more money. I mean, nobody would have ever spent $50 a ticket. But but that goes with basketball and everyone too. It's like, you know, when I go to a hockey game, I'm spending $100 a ticket. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and when I was a kid going to hockey, I'm going to spend $5 a ticket. Mm-hmm, right. You know? and, it's, and when I was going to wrestling as a kid, I went to wrestling as a kid under 12 for a dollar. Mm. You know, and got great matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember people would go, God, how come the wrestling ticket is like just as expensive as the movie ticket? Shouldn't the movie be more expensive? <laughs> I go, These guys got to get paid. Yeah, you know? that's right. That's right. Yeah. But, you know, now, you know, like um, 
you know, what, what I don't even know what the biggest ticket at Wrestle, WrestleMania is, $2,000, I think. Easy, yeah. Well, that's what I mean, but on the worldwide basis, like, obviously, during the Monday Night Wars, the viewership was more. But if you're talking about, like, you know, there's so many places for guys to work now, thankfully, because there wasn't for a while when WCW went down. Right. And you're also seeing a lot of guys like the Bucks and, and Kenny Omega and those guys, or Cody, that are choosing not to go to WWE. Yeah, they've got a good thing going. Good thing right now, right? Yeah, because the one thing with them is, it's like, and, and, you know, you know this, too, from, from your experience in the last couple of months. I think there's really something to the idea of being in control of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they, with the companies that they're with, you know, it's like they're not in 100% control, but they're in more control. And in WWE, you're part of a corporation, a big machine. You know, you're, you may get some input on certain things, but it's not like you can go in there and, and do the angle exactly how you want it and do the promo exactly how you want it. You know, you have to fit into this sort of structure. Well, yeah, and you got your agent, and you got to get it approved by Vince, and it's never 100% the way you want to do it, no matter who you are, even yeah. if it's me. Yeah. You st- and even if you get it, you still have to go through the system to get it approved, yeah. whereas with New Japan, I, there was really nothing. It's actually surprised me how little input there was as far as guys just going out there and Booker didn't, didn't even know the finish. Like, knows really? the finish, but doing some things. I remember Marty Skrull threw some powder one time, uh, and they're like, oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. I'm like, really? Because in my world, if you even want to think about powder, you better tell Vince about it, or you're going to get in big trouble. Right, right. You know, but they didn't have that. I guess those guys enjoy that freedom. Yeah. So there's something to that. There's something to be said for that. And, and you know, being able, I mean, like with the Young Bucks, like, to actually have, like, their kids' birthdays off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. things like that. Because, like, like um, one of them had a, had, and, and during big tours, because I think there's, I, I don't know the, the Super Junior Tag Team Tournament. I think one of them, one of the kids, one of them has a kid. I don't remember which one. I should be, I should know this. But, mm. but um, that's birthdays during the Super Junior Tag Tournament, and they didn't go. And it's like they were thinking, like, you know, that was so good that they've gotten to the point where they can be home, you know, for, for that. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, because, you know, in the, in the old system, you know, and when you're coming up, you can't do that. No, absolutely not. You yeah. can't make those calls. Yeah. Do you think that they'll end up in the WWE, those the group of guys? Who, know, who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't, I, people ask me that, like, literally on a daily basis. Oh, okay. Constantly. And I always go, it depends on the lay of the land. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if if it's the right thing to do, you know, they will. Mm-hmm. And, and and the right thing for them. And it's like, you know, I, I can't exactly read their minds. But Brody was always a good one in the sense of he always wanted to avoid going to WWF until the end. Because the more he didn't go, the more valuable he would become. And also, the biggest star outside, you know, is, is seen as like a big star. Like, 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 you know, like when you were in New Japan, to the people who were kind of following the business, there was more attention on you than when you were in WWF. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It was just more talk because it was different and it was unexpected. And, and I think a lot of those guys, Cody really. You know, Cody became a bigger star leaving. Absolutely. You know, a much bigger star. Absolutely, leaving. for sure. Yeah, and I think a lot of the guys who were there, you know, you may make less money and you may not. I mean, it's not that's not even a lock, mm-hmm. depending on who you are and how well you that's do true. and things like that. That's true. But but I think a lot of the guys there that are like a Cesaro, and a, you know, someone like him, I mean, it's like, I'm not suggesting that he should leave or anyone. And I know there's, there's guys there who will come, do you think I should leave? And I go like, if you have kids, I my normal, rea- you know, my normal reaction would be say, no, stay if you got kids. If you're single, I would say go. What the hell happened? We got to lose, yeah. Yeah. I would say WWE isn't going anywhere. You know, if you leave, it's not going where you can come back. You know, that's how oh, it works. Especially if you're good. Right. Yeah. If you're good. If you leave on your own and, and you're good, mm-hmm. you know, there's always going to be, you know, a, a play, you know, look how many people they have. And they're, they, they, you know, they, they want everyone with NXT and everything like that. There's so, so, yeah, if you're really good, you know, you can go. But, you know, as far as those guys, um, 
if New Japan's growing and you're the catalyst of the growth, it's kind of like a cool place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not and they, you know, hit a certain level and now you want to make your name bigger um, or you're at a certain point where, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you know, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but it, but it's like, it's like, well, they, like people go like, you know, will they go this year, next year. And it's like at the end of their contract, whatever the lay of the land is, they may go next. Side then, they right. may go in 10 years. They may never go. It just depends on how the the big picture of the business goes. What do you think is going to happen after being the cornerstone of the wrestling business when Vince retires slash dies? Because we both know he's never going to retire. Yeah. What effect is that going to have on the wrestling business? I would have said gigantic a few years ago, but now I think that it's like almost a machine that I think, I'm wondering, I think that they kind of have a succession plan in place and Levesque, you know, is... is He's putting his pieces together now. Yeah, and yeah. he's learning right under Vince. And and I sense, you know, I look at NXT and I think it's a hell of a product. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I really enjoy I enjoy the booking of the product. I enjoy the, you know, the matches and everything like that. The two, those two and a half hour shows that they put on quarterly or five times a year now. They're awesome. So it's like, I look at that and I go like, yeah, the business is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a period where it was like, you know, there's only a few people who really got the business and Vince more than anyone, right? And I always thought, like, you know, if Vince goes, I mean, this thing's going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that for years and years. Now I'm not I'm not as worried. I think that WWE is entrenched in society at a different level. And also the other thing, too, is is the, 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 the big thing with wrestling now is the TV deals. You know, it used to be the house shows, it used to be the pay-per-views. It's the TV deals. It's not even the network. Mm. Um, and... As long as the TV num, you know the the TV money comes in, you know you could be like WCW now. If they were, if WCW was around now, they'd never go out of business, right? Because they'd be making so much money off of TV. If ECW, if Paul was around, if if Paul could have lasted, you know, it would have taken him, oh God, maybe ten years though, seven years. But if he could have lasted like to now, uh, you know, you're home free, right? Yeah. Home free, and 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 I think he even half-assed knew it, but he just couldn't last. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? But yeah, yeah, because it's it's it's. If you have a product that people will watch on television right now, I mean, you can make money just off of being on TV. Before you, the TV was just a way you were paying to be on TV so you could make money running shows. But now, it's, you know, it's like with the NBA. And I, I just think WWE is like, you never say never because, God, you know, Ringling Brothers went down. I never would have believed That's that. crazy, yeah. Vince told, I asked him one time when um, when TNA went head-to-head with with Raw. Oh, yeah, the period, for a short period of time. I asked him about it and what he thought, and he said, "He said, um, take me out of the equation." He said, "You can't compete with the WWE at this point. It's no. too much of a machine. Yeah. It's too much of a brand." And he said, "This isn't me. It's just the way it is." And he's right. You're not going to compete or beat the WWE. You can compete, or you can carve out your own niche. You can carve out a niche. Yes. Yeah. But but WWE, and I also believe it. Like you just said, it's a, it's now become entrenched in Americana pop culture in the world it's not going to go anywhere yeah the world not just yeah, the United just States. the entire world exactly yeah, yeah, you get you get TV money from India and from Europe and, and yeah exactly yeah not just the United States so yeah I mean like when people will talk about like oh you know if New Japan keeps doing this and this do you think you're go, no, no impossible no, impossible no. never but that's not to say they can't be successful no it's a great it's a great alternative if you're a wrestling fan it's a hold and they did what they have to do to compete quote unquote is be different they're different, you yeah. know, and that's and, what you, yeah, you want. And I mean, that's the whole key is like, I think if you want to, one of the things I thought the TNA biggest mistake was that whole run, it was just like, how do we be like WWE? Exactly. And it's like, if they would have just gone with like, you know, what PWG did, which is just like, this is, we've got an audience, we're going to cater to this audience. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, PWG is only it's only a couple hundred people and all that. But the point is, but they created a certain atmosphere yeah. that you could that, that could be done on a big scale where it's just like we're going to have the most kick ass wrestlers around and you're just going to get that. And when you see that, you know, it's just like you're that's going to get a niche of people. Um, and I think with TNA, it was like, well, this is what wrestling TV is that Vince does. And it's like, but now you're second rate Vince. So you're always going to be second rate. And the, you want to be first rate. TNA, yeah. not, you know, different from WWE. What do you think with uh, Don Callis and uh, Scott Demore taking over? Is there a chance that they can survive? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's better. It's it's more balanced, but, you know, they dug a deep hole. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Economically, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the books are right now. I know, I know it couldn't be good, mm-hmm. but um, I hope so. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a place for guys to work. It's, there's, there's TV. I hope, I hope it works out. When we're talking to you, you mentioned that your uh, subscriptions are the highest they've ever been. Was was it a hard transition? Like, do people still like the actual Some. paper, or do most people just read it online? Now? Well, most are online now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The paper is is the, I mean, I, the, the the paper is the people who have you know been subscribed. Like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like those people. Like there's there's some new people, but most new people are gonna are gonna you know do go online. But yeah, the the paper people are the same people that have been doing it for yeah for years and years and years. Since the beginning <laughs> of time. I have I have um one subscriber who, the first subscriber I ever had is a guy in um, Detroit area. What's his name? Alan Cooper in Detroit. First subscriber. My first subscriber I ever had in 1971. Wow! Shout out to Alan Cooper. Yeah, that's right. I've never even mentioned this. I, he did, he probably doesn't even know he's my first subscriber. Oh, <laughs> he was the very first one. He still subscribes today. He's 47 years later. Wow. Yeah. I used to. Uh, paid to, to get it once i found out like i said once i had Langley had it and you know, there was an address i just bought it i remember vividly remember it was like 10 bucks a month or whatever it was right. at the time and then i finally got a subscription for free <laughs> after uh art bar died right because you wrote me that really nice poem yeah i wrote a poem for him and i wrote that at the plaza madrid in mexico city where i used to stay and i remember i faxed it to to you yeah. i said i don't i don't even know if I asked you to print it, I just wanted to write something, yeah. and for some reason I sent it to you, yeah. which is interesting. And then I printed it on the front page. You did, page. you did, and I was I was really like shocked about that. But yeah, and, I, yeah, and, I, and we'll talk about our bar. We're going to do an art bar show, so I don't want to dwell too long. But I, I don't know. I think I just wanted to send it to somebody, and you were the guy that knew him. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's why I did it. So yeah. as, as we wind down here, who are your all time favorite wrestlers? There's just so many. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, I don't even know. I mean, like, there was a time when, like, Ric Flair, you know, was really hot, and he was one of my favorites. Um, I like, you know, so many of the guys now, but I, they anyone who works hard, I like it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't, I kind of like everybody in a lot of ways. I mean, people think, it's funny because there's, there's people who think I have heat with them, and I don't even, like, I don't think, I don't, I don't, like, dislike anyone. I mean, it's like, I mean, I have no respect for certain people, but I don't actually dislike anyone. <laughs> but that's a, that's a completely different story. But, mm. um, you know, as a kid, you know, Pat Patterson, superstar Billy Graham, because those were the guys who got me into watching pro wrestling. And I saw them on the screen doing the promos. And, um, you know, I mean, it was Billy Graham's promos. And it was just like, wow, you know, like it just, it just hooked me because he was like Muhammad Ali talking wise. And then, you know, after a while... The thing with Patterson's like I, I didn't know work or not work or whatever, but I remember we would we go to San Jose and we would always go, why is we, why are we always so excited during Pat Patterson's match? Mm. And you know, I bet at the age of fourteen it was like we figured out like he's like really great. <laughs> you know what I mean, before it was just like 
God, his matches are more exciting than anyone else because Stevens was leaving at the time. And Stevens was always pushed when I was a kid as like the legend. And the thing with Stevens was he always sold like crazy. So when you're like 11 years old and you're watching this guy sell, 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 why, why, you know, why do they call him the legend? And why is he so over sell, sell, sell? And then like years later, I go like, he made every guy that went against him look like a main eventer. Mm-hmm. This guy was great. But at the time, it was almost like, you know, I, I didn't really figure, you know, why is he always on top when he's when he's giving away 70% of the match and always comes, you know what I mean? So you can you know, learn that as, as time goes on. When that realization hits, I remember Bad Company was Brian Pillman and Bruce Hart. And I remember thinking, like, the match is always really good when Brian Pillman's in. <laughs> and Bruce and was the one who always get the hot tags, really, right? Yeah. And why Why does that guy, who's like the short, fat guy, <laughs> always get the hot tags when that guy is so much better? Yeah. I want to see that guy. Right. But you didn't know, like, okay, it's because one's a great worker and one's not. One's the booker, you know, and all that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that at the time. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You, you just kind of, like, through, through watching and watching, you start, you know, figuring things out. And it's like, yeah, like, even, like, with, with Dusty, when I would watch him wrestle, and, and it was always like, you know, it's like his um, his TV matches, you know what I mean? Or, or, or certain guys, it's like you don't really need to watch him on TV. Whereas like Flair would go on TV and he'd light the place up every time. It was like a treat when you, mm-hmm. but when, when, I, when I was a kid, when Flair would, would come, he would see, Flair would come to Georgia, I would say maybe one Saturday a month to six weeks. Um, usually if they had like a really big card on the Friday night, Rick would stay for Saturday morning TV. If not, Rick wasn't really around that much because mm-hmm. he was a Carolinas guy. But I remember like when we would always like, when Rick was on, it was always a treat. That's so he he kind of had that special thing. He dressed cool. He talked cool. So he he helped get me like really back into wrestling. So, you know, I, I yeah. So so he would he would have been my, one of my favorites. You know, um, afterwards. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When I was um, you know college age. Yeah. Last question: favorite matches? Is there some that stand out where you go, man? That one was. There's so, so good. many. I mean, if yeah. you look at all the five star matches, every single one of them mm-hmm. would be like that. Do you do you find now that five star match is such a thing? Are you able to still be um, focused and balanced and and not give out too many five star matches? I, I feel like like last year I felt like I gave out too many, but at the same time they really deserved it because. But you know, it's like it's like people. You know, I think that the quality of the wrestling is 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 better um, and deeper. You know, whereas before there were certain guys that were at, at a level, and now there's so many guys as far as the performance bell to bell aspect, there's a lot more. Because when I look back at like last year, I really feel like last year was just an absolutely incredible year for for the in ring of pro wrestling. And it was really a fun year overall. I mean, because the the thing that's pretty cool to me about the wrestling now is is watching these small companies like really get followings do the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, because before, none of these companies could have ever right. done what they do now. You know what I mean? And I think that that's really cool that, yeah, you know, for a long time I thought it's only going to be WWE, which is fine. But, you know, I always wanted alternatives. I always like to see various things. And it was like when ECW and WCW, they both died like within a couple of Same months. Same time, yeah. Yeah, and it was just like it was all WWE. And then Japan was just falling apart because of the, the shoot stuff and everything. And, I mean, I, when I was – I loved Japan when in the 80s when I first started going there. And then it started going down. I was just like, God, it's bad. But now everything – you know, it's like there's all kinds of good promotions in mm-hmm. Japan right now. There's all kinds of good promotions in the United States now. So I think it's a lot. I think now is a lot more fun for me to follow it than than it was, you know, like six, seven years ago. And, and from really from like 2001 to, um, you know, whatever it was, 2012. I mean, there were ups and downs. But I think since, you know, in the last two years, it's really been a lot more did, fun. Did, when you gave Omega Okada six stars, 
was, would that say that that's the best match you've ever seen? Okay, if, if you're going to say like the best match I've ever seen, I would say that the second one, not the first one, mm-hmm. the one in Osaka on June 11th, when, when I watched that 60-minute match, I thought that was the best match I'd ever seen when it was over. Mm, interesting. You know? Yeah, I really did. I really did. The first one I thought was one of the best matches I've ever seen, but I wouldn't say it was the best. But the second one I thought was way better than the first one. And I remember when that was over, it's like, yeah, you know what? I, I don't think I've ever seen a match, you know, because it was so, you know, just the pacing and, and everything like that. I was, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a style I like. I really, uh, you know, a lot of the Okada matches, I, I think that the way he does his last five minutes of a match, um, the drama, the, the twists and turns, I can't really get a read on what he's going to do next. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Whereas with, like, um, Flair and Sean and Triple H, I always was able to oh, yeah. get, get a read on what they were going to do. I kind of could figure it out ahead of time, mm-hmm. especially Triple H. I hate to say that because actually I always tell people I think Triple H must be a really smart worker because I sit there and I always think what he's going to do next and he always does it. So if he's a smart worker, I'm really smart on wrestling. That's what I always say, think to myself. And it's, but, if he's, but people go like, oh, he's not a smart worker. I say, oh, my God, I'm dumb. But, but you know, it's funny because I have my one friend who, like, He's like really good at your matches. Mm. I'm the, I'm terrible at your match. Oh really? Which is oh yeah. I never know what you're gonna do. Now. Oh so so how does your friend know? Wh- wh- I don't know. He's got he's got. He knows how I think. Really, that's interesting. He's really. I got one friend who's re- like he's better than me when it comes to like we'll watch and go now he's gonna do this and he's gonna do this. And he's, a, he's a wrestler. And wow. He's a so he was he's really good at at you know, this is what's gonna happen. He's you know we're we're pretty even, but it depends on the person. But like with you, he'll go okay. He's this 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 is when he does this. I said, really? And then you would go do it, and I would go like, oh. <laughs> Haven't you can't figure it out? Yeah, and I, because I, I always thought that one of the things I always liked about your matches is I couldn't figure them out. Mm. You know what I mean? Because I, I knew you were going to do certain things in the match, but it always came at a time when I wasn't expecting them, or it, you would twist into them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I always laugh when people go, I knew that you were going to do this. It's like, no, you didn't. No, well, you, did, not, you didn't know I was going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, you might have guessed it, but like even like you know, uh, when you'd make a surprise appearance somewhere, oh, yeah, I knew you were going to do that, or I knew you were going to do this. Well, you're really good you know. at that anyway, though. You know, you, you, right, you right. keep your career quiet. I mean, and I, you know, and I know that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's more yeah. fun that way. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Why do you, everyone wants to? I find the one thing about wrestling fans now because it's it's such an open world as far as with social media and all that sort of stuff. Is there's a lot of people that are think they're entitled to know everything. Yeah, and I don't want people to know anything. Right. Like when I go to a movie, I don't want to know what the end of the movie mm-hmm. is or what the twists are. I want to see it for myself yeah. the way that the director and the and the producers intend it to be seen you know yeah but i mean for the most part i i almost never know finishes mm-hmm. and i don't and i don't need to there's no point in sure. knowing them. i know general direction sometimes and sometimes i don't you know. Did you invent the five-star system? The stars? No, 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 no. Um, Jim Cornette did. Oh, yeah, Jim. Weasel Dooley is what he told Norman, me. Norm the Weasel Dooley. <laughs> well, okay, so so Jim Cornette invented it. This guy, Norm the Weasel Dooley, was was like kind of like, I, I don't want to say my idol, but before I started doing the, the second, the, the Observer, he got this Weasel World of Wrestling. I subscribed to his Weasel World Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> and, and he was the funniest guy I, I mean, in the world, he was funnier than Brian Alvarez when he was younger, who was, who was absolutely hilarious writer. But when, 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 and I just wanted to be, I want to be as funny as him. And he would do the stars and he would make comments, like just smart ass comments. Like, I mean, I used to do that in the 80s and 90s. I never do it now. Yeah, you know, the yeah, real yeah. smart ass stuff that's, yeah. you know, I could even see now when people look back on it and go, God, it was hurtful and everything. But and then, and then it was funny, you know, mm-hmm. you know, times change, whatever. But he did like these comments and, but he would do the stars. And so I met him at a couple of shows and, and we would sit there and, and we would talk about it. And then it's like, it was his thing and other people did it and I did it. And then, and I wasn't the only one doing it um, at the time, but 
everybody else fell to the wayside and then I did it. And I never expected it to be so big, right? Oh, like when people go like, you know, they'll come bring a match 20 years ago and, and go like, you know, why didn't you give it five stars? You gave it four, three courses. Like, it's 20 years ago. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, who knows? And, and, you know, you view matches differently now anyway. Like people go, do you ever like go back and rate matches from 20 years ago? It's not 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's like you're doing, it's time and place. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's a match, like you may have a match that, I mean, I, I, I'll give an example. Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich, Christmas, Dallas Reunion Arena. When I saw that match, when it happened in 19, it was Christmas night, so I saw it in early 83. I thought story-wise, because of the angle and everything, I thought it was one of the greatest matches I'd ever seen. When it came on the WWE Network, I was like, okay, this I'm going to make sure to watch as soon as this thing's on the network. And I watched it, and it was just so different through today's eyes. It really wasn't that great. Mm. And the angle of the slamming the cage door on the guy's head, it's like, my God, every single cage match Has that stole, stole that spot. Yeah. So now I've seen it a thousand times. I'd never seen it that time. Right. So it's like I'm watching it. It's kind of like maybe um, Sean and Razor ladder match from um, the Garden, which and, and, and Brett and Owen had the match on the same day. And I remember remember I was with a whole bunch of friends. We watched WrestleMania. And we... I remember we all thought Sean and Razor was one of the one of the best matches that we had ever seen in our lives, and I thought, which is which is it's going to sound so arrogant saying this, okay, because of how it turned out. But I remember going like, years from now, people are going to say that Brett Owen match was the better match of the two, but to us, there's no way it was. And now people go, how did you rate that Sean match better than the Brett match? And I go because. Sean did all this stuff I'd never seen before. Yeah, exactly. The Brett match was a fantastic, perfect match that will always, 30 years from now, people will look back and go, that match is unbelievable. Where in the Sean, it's like, you know, once you watch the Edge and Christian ladder match, the Sean stuff is, it's the beginning. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the one, the match that I had with Sean or the, ma- the match I had with Ben with the ladder match, they're better than that one. Yeah. But that one was the first. So, so, we, so that's always going to be known as like the, the classic like, ladder match. Right, like you know? the first Hell in a Cell with, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. with Sean and Undertaker. And Undertaker exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, th- th- so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's always about, it's, to me, it's all about time and place. And it's like when you were in that time and in that place, I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. You can't work a match day and go like, in 2054, what are these yeah. guys going to be saying, <laughs> exactly. you know, about, about I'm doing this, this thing, you know, um, Will that be over in 2050? Who the hell knows? Right. And you can't even think that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dave, it's always a blast to talk to you, man. And uh, congratulations on becoming the uh, <laughs> the wise five-star Yoda of wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Congratulations on your career. I can't believe it. Well, from, thanks, from, dude. From, well, from, you know, humble beginnings in, in Bay Area All-Star Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks to Dave Meltzer. Remember, you can subscribe to the Wrestling Observer newsletter and be in the know, thanks to Dave Meltzer, and go to WrestlingObserver.com to find out all the breaking news. Thanks to Dave for returning to Talk is Jericho. He'll be back again soon. We're going to do something soon talking about the uh, life and times and uh, terrible, horrific ending of Bruiser Brody. But that's coming up. Thanks to Dave. Always great talking with him. And thanks the first time, his first podcast ever, talking about himself. It's an exclusive right here on Talk is Jericho. Just like you got the exclusive with Chris Slade from ACDC a few weeks ago, the exclusive with Derek Smalls from Spinal Tap. We're doing Exclusivo, all right? And if you want to stay exclusive, you got to get on board Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. When we set sail October 27th from Miami to the Bahamas, book your cabin now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And once you do, everything is included in the price and... 
now we've got some real action announced. We've got the entire first round of Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager. The Sea of Honor tournament has been announced. All right, you want to see who's on this? Okay, here it is. Jay Lethal versus BJ Whitmer. Chris Daniels versus Delirious. Marty Skrull versus Rhett Titus. Silas Young versus Flip Gordon. And on the B side, uh, Mark Briscoe versus Will Ferrara. Adam Page versus Frankie Kazarian. Chiberga, Chiberga, Chiberga versus the Beer City Bruiser. Jay Briscoe versus Kenny King. The winner of A Block faces the winner of B Block. And the winner of that gets a World Heavyweight Championship shot in the future for the Ring of Honor World Championship only on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. And more matches are coming. All right, you saw maybe uh, being the elite a few weeks ago. Maybe or maybe not. There might be a little bit of an alliance between Chris Jericho and the Young Bucks. The Bucks of Jericho, or is it Y2 Jackson? Stay tuned to find out. Is that going to happen? If there was only a place where we could do this alliance, somewhere we could team up, you can't do it on soil. You can't do it on space. If only there was another element that we could do this teaming, this, this pairing, this alliance I don't know. Maybe you can. Uh, maybe you guys can help us. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com and book your cabin now. Uh, WWE legends, Hall of Famers, uh, some of the funniest comedians you ever see, some of the greatest rock and roll bands, live podcasts. You know the lineup. You've seen it all. And also, Ring of Honor will be there, and also Impact Wrestling will be there as well. Um, we're going to be uh, seeing what happens and what develops over the next few weeks between those two factions. So, uh, don't forget, go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Kenny Omega is going to be there. Cody Rhodes is going to be there, Young Bucks, uh, Jim Ross, Mick Foley, Fozzie, uh, Corey Taylor. There's going to be so many people. Brad Williams is going to be there. Uh, Sal and and, and, and Q are going to do their live podcast from Impractical Jokers. So don't you dare miss it. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com for the entire roster. Book your cabin now and get ready because next week on Wednesday, another exclusive. You want another exclusive? Here it is. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Steve Austin talking Stone Cold Rock and Roll. That's right. I pinned Steve down to talk just about music. Steve is a huge music fan, has been his entire life. We sat down to do go through all of Steve's favorite bands, his favorite songs, the influence that music has meant to him. So check that out on Wednesday. It's Steve Austin Stone Cold Rock and Roll here on Talk is Jericho. We'll see you then. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah boy. I give this podcast seven stars, baby. 